welcome to Health's Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Hello, hello, hello. And we made it to another episode of the Health Kitchen podcast. And you know what's really interesting? I thought by interviewing a bunch of chefs, a bunch of servers, bartenders, what have you, I was going to start hearing a lot of the same answers and solutions to the problems that face the industry. And I've been really impressed so far that people may have similar problems, but everyone has different ways of going about solving them, or maybe just a little bit of a different angle of how we can look at the problem altogether. So I'm very impressed with the variety of solutions that are in front of us when it comes to helping with health and performance in the food service industry. Now, there's one thing that hasn't been talked about too much until today's episode, And it comes around the topic of efficiency of movement. And this really relates to me as a kinesiologist, but I think it can relate to a lot in other industries as well. So when we're talking efficiency of movement, we're talking about how someone moves to complete a task. And there's going to be ways to do that more efficiently than others. And when I was coaching athletes, when I was an athlete myself, it was consistent across the board that people who move more efficiently were generally better athletes. So what does an example of this look like? I'm going to take this to figure skating because that's what I know. Used to be a competitive ice dancer. There's something called compulsory dances that you'll do in competition, and it's pretty similar to how you'd see a ballroom competition. Everybody doing the exact same steps to the exact same music, and whoever can perform it better wins the competition. It's always a first part of any major ice dance competition. You'll see it on TV, and you see it uh, in lower levels as well. So the skaters that are able to have efficient movement or quick changes in position because they can do that efficiently are going to be able to create a bigger pattern on the ice. They're going to be able to add more nuance to the performance. And then they are going to have a better performance overall and they're going to have a better score and they're going to win the competition. So efficient movers can change positions quickly and they can get more done quickly. So they're going to perform better. So let's take this to a workplace example. A chef who can move efficiently, who does the same movements all the time, are probably not going to become as tired as other chefs who don't have consistent movement overall. If you don't keep everything in the same place, if you don't move in the same way continually, your body's always having to think, and you just don't move as efficiently overall. Same thing with a server as well. If you don't put the same thing in the same place in the server hutch all the time, then you're going to be looking for it, and you're not going to find it when you need it. And if you're not thinking about the efficiency of your movement around the dining room, where, let's say, you grab 
grab one thing from one table and you check other tables on your way back and then you grab another thing from the server hut you go back to the kitchen you run food and as you're running food you're able to take into account what's happening at your other tables you're checking to see what's happening you're looking at the bars and you can go back and look at your tables again and then you see that your drinks are up and you're going to run your drinks but you're also going to check your tables one more time and then it's probably time to grab your food again Wow, so that was probably me giving an example of how my brain works when I used to serve tables. Crazy, huh, right? The hard part is that efficiency of movement isn't very easy to teach, and you kind of have to figure out how it's going to work for you. Now, there are ways to make people aware of this and giving them ways for it to work better for them. Uh, You see this all the time in health and safety, um, where you make sure employees are safe and they're following specific kind of policies to keep them safe. But when it comes to figuring out how you move better, efficiency should be one of your top priorities so that you can do the job better, you can do it faster, and you're not going to become as tired. And that's going to vary from person to person to person what that looks like. And fortunately, today's guest talks a lot about efficiency of movement. So I'm really excited to get to introducing today's guest because we are going to learn a little bit what he does to help him move better when he's in the kitchen. So let's get to learning a little bit about Daniel. Today's guest goes by the name of Daniel Benyamin. And he has been a chef for a good few years in the industry. He's the head chef of Bistro Grande, which is a kosher fish and dairy restaurant. And he contacted me about coming on the show after I made a little proposal for people to come on to talk about his struggles when it comes to health and performance, but also how he thinks that efficiency of movement is actually one of the big keystones to be able to improve this. And how if we could get in front of this when it comes to the culinary schools, when it comes to how we train our employees, we're probably going to have better performing employees that get injured less and aren't as worn out at the end of their workday. So this was a really fun interview. We had a lot of stuff to talk about, but you know what? What's better than us just going and listening in? So I am sitting here with Daniel, who is a chef, and I thought I would give you the opportunity to introduce yourself and what you do, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so great to be here. Um, I'm Daniel, head chef of Bistro Grande. It's a kosher fish and dairy restaurant. Uh, We're located, if anybody's interested, to try the kosher food um, is... um, on Bathurst and Eglinton area, and yeah. Perfect. Um, So how did you get your start in the industry? Interesting. Um, When people ask me that, I always go with, um, when I grew up, my mom, I had two other sisters, but for some reason my mom always put the trust in me to help her in the kitchen. And so that kind of sparkled me to go into the, uh, kitchen industry. Uh, also, growing up, I loved uh, Kitchen Nightmares, and <laughs> that was my favorite show. 
such a good show. It's a good show. And uh, I liked the, the heat of the moment. And so when I started, my first kitchen job was in a very fast-paced kosher burger joint. Okay. Um, and I was, uh, as they call it in the industry, short line cook, okay. I think. And so I started there. And then kind of grew into the industry. And then, you know, with time, I, I discovered that I can do more and be more than just uh, assembling burger uh, burgers. And then I used to work for a banquet hall as a, as a server. It was fun as well. Uh, so I have that under my belt. Um, after that, I just jumped from a bunch of different kitchens, um, from West Indian to to Spanish, Mexican, uh, Italian, French, Middle Eastern. Nice. Yeah. So you, I guess you kind of done every kind of cuisine pretty well. I've done, yeah, I've done a little bit of a, of a lot of cuisines. Um, not, you know, in an expert level as I want it to be, or in an, you know, enough years to say that I'm comfortable with it, but little stuff that I picked up on the way. Nice. So, yeah. Uh, that's cool. I'd say so you're sort of like a jack of all trades when it comes to, in some ways. I guess, ways. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which isn't always a bad thing uh, when you do enough different locations, yeah. especially if you've worked in a d- bunch of different locations, you kind of collect all sorts of different kinds of skills and yeah. abilities and also being able to work in different kinds of environments, which is always helpful. Like my partner says, um, family doctors know a lot of things, but they're not expert in one thing, like specialists. Yes, so, exactly. <clears throat> so I think it falls under the same. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's very true. Um, I find that the same thing with me as a kinesiologist. I kind of have to know um, a lot of things, like when it comes to compared to being a physiotherapist or a chiropractor or an osteopath or some of the other. Um, register health professionals, you kind of have to be able to take what they do, understand it, compress it into what you have to do, and make that work, mm-hmm. um, which is makes us a sort of jack of all trades of like the health field in a lot of ways because we exercise and human movement can be connected mm-hmm. to so many things, but you just need such a breadth of knowledge to be able to apply that yeah. effectively. Um, so, in your current place, just give me an idea of the volume that you work with. So, like, how many people come in? So the restaurant can hold um, up to 120 people, I believe. Um, the amount of cooks that we have is one person per station. We have four stations. We have the pasta station, the grilled fish station, a pizza station, and salad dessert station, which is combined into one. Yep. Uh, the amount of people that we currently do since it's the slowest season in the world right now after the holidays. You know it is. Um, it's not super busy, but you know when it's busy, it's busy. So I would yeah. say between eighty to a hundred. Yeah. On on a good day. Nice. Open for lunch and dinner, or just dinner? Uh, we do lunches as well. Yes. Perfect. So it's yeah. sort of a it runs all day long. It runs right? all day long. It doesn't stop. So. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that's uh, I've noticed that's one of the most interesting things for me is there are restaurants that do lunch and dinner when I think about it because that kitchen has to just run 
kind of all day long, right? Yeah. Um, so what time of day does your day start at then? Especially since you're head chef, you probably have to be there most of the time. Right. So I open the place. Uh, my schedule is... So since it's a kosher place, which makes it... Um, which gives you the opportunity to have a little bit of life. Um, my schedule is Monday to Thursday, 10 to 10. Mm-hmm. So we open at 10, service starts at 11 lunch, um, then we close at 10, and then Fridays we close because it's Shabbat. Uh, the restaurant has been operating for 15 years, and from what I know, they told me that they used to be open on Fridays just for lunch, but it, there wasn't enough business to serve, so they just stopped doing that. And then on Saturdays, when Shabbat leaves, um, so we have Shab- uh, Saturday off, um, but on the winter season, um, we open at 7. So we, because Shabbat leaves at like 5.45, 5.30, then we're able to open the restaurant at 6 and open the doors to guests at 7. Okay, so that's on Saturday? That's on Saturday. So okay. I work from 6 to 11 on Saturday, and then on Sundays, because we're also open for brunch, we start the day at 9 and finish off at 10. Okay, so long days. Long days. Long days. Um, <laughs> but that's pretty part of the course um, in the industry, right? So Yeah, well, when I started in the industry, um, after a year or two, I realized that that's what I'm getting myself into. Yeah. Uh, I remember the days where I would go to work at, I would say, 12 p.m., 1 p.m., um, open door for guests at 5 or 6, finish closing at 1 or 2 a.m., go eat something fast, something very unhealthy, something very fatty, um, maybe have a drink or two, go home, watch an episode or two of something, and go go to sleep, wake up, and go to work. Yep. Practically eat maybe one and a half meals a day. Yes. Uh, I used to, I remember I used to be skinny, I used to be a little bit more beautiful than I am today. <laughs> uh, I used to rock climb um, when I had the opportunities, three, four times a week. Uh, I was very good with keeping up with my body healthy uh, until this pattern came into my life and it kind of regressed my ability, regressed my body and my health and did not allow me, and this kind of lifestyle doesn't really allow me much to maintain Um, a healthy... Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's interesting. I've heard this sort of story a bunch of times on this podcast and, (coughs) excuse me, I'm recovering from a cold, Um, but the... You know, that sort of when you get into the industry and possibly you're a little bit younger and you're able to, like, really push yourself in that way, right? Like, do the crazy long day, eat something, go home, uh, pass out, turn around and do it again the next day. Yeah. And just keep doing that over and over and over again for possibly a few years until you get a little bit older and you start to feel that catch up on you a little bit. the 30s. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, wait, I don't feel so much like a rock star anymore, right? And, uh... I think the job kind of also um, helps create that feeling because you're doing a really amazing task, right? Like you're like you're pulling off like a certain kind of magic. You're like uh, working through a hundred people, 120 people, maybe even more depending on the restaurant, mm-hmm. and you're you know making all this food 
and making that work as a team. So you kind of feel like a rock star, and you get like that adrenaline rush. Yeah. But it gets really tough as you get a little bit older to maintain that energy level consistently. So, so it's interesting when people talk about the adrenaline rush. Um, you have that really amazing chemical reaction going, and then the drop down and the calm down is also dangerous because you know the difference of being so hyped up and worked up and going at things and and running and rushing and the heat of the moment enjoying all of that and then you calm down and then you feel parts of your body that you didn't feel before maybe your knee aches because you know you've been on your legs standing up all day long uh, maybe you pull the muscle that you didn't feel and then you go home and it's hard to fall asleep because your body aches, because your body hurts. Um, and I heard many times that stretching is very helpful. Um, even that very simple step where you take two minutes of your life before bedtime, just get in the, get in the uh, what's the position called in yoga, where you hug yourself. Oh, um, the... It's not child's pose, but I should know that. No, this yeah, the child's, child's pose. pose? Yeah, okay, it yeah. Is, it is the child's pose. When you just get in the child's pose, stretch your stretch your back, stretch your hands. Should be a little helpful if you don't have the time to really do sports. Yeah, um, that's you know uh, um, when it comes to managing sleep, sleep is sort of a creature of habit. So that doing that child's pose each time before you go to bed helps tell your body that it's time to yeah, go to sleep and get in that sort of mode of wanting to go to sleep. Yeah. And it helps bring you um, bring you down to wherever it needs to be. Or it could be reading, mm-hmm. it could be meditation, it could be... Nice hot steaming shower. That's a really good one, actually. And uh, so when I was a coach at the University of Guelph and I was coaching athletes, we would always say before a game uh, the night before to like take a really hot shower Mm -hmm. and then after that like dry off and get into bed because it raises your body temperature and as you begin to cool down again it starts to make you feel like you want to go to sleep yeah so I personally do that too Um, particularly in the winter time it really helps me fall asleep at night so that's pretty true that's a pretty good thing so kind of goes into my next question but uh because I always ask what the challenges are for your, like, when it comes to your work day and maintaining mm-hmm. your health and performance. So is sleep the thing for you? Yeah, sleep can be sometimes a thing for me. For example, two days ago, it was kind of hard to fall asleep because just body aches. Um, it starts with the legs, usually, because <laughs> you're on them all day. Uh, then it can, because it's hard to fall asleep, then your mind is just starts to wonder and you know you think about what you have to do what you might have missed out uh, orderings and inventory and so sometimes it's hard to fall asleep yeah yeah because you're thinking about all these things yeah um, at the end of your work day and uh, yeah it's hard to fall asleep I always found as a server I would always remember like just before I went to bed something I forgot to do for a guest so I'd be like lying in bed and I'd be like, I oh, forgot no. to get them ketchup or like something, right? Yeah. Like the, it was always something little like that. That, that makes you a good server. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Well, it, yeah, I would be thinking about things like that and it would hit me or sometimes it would be like 
two weeks afterwards. Like that, mm-hmm. would remember, I would remember something, and then I was like, I never got that thing for that guest, or like, yeah. I never got them another glass of wine that they asked, or whatever it was, right? Um, so yeah, so that's. I think that's a pretty consistent challenge for a lot of chefs. You know, you yeah, get those, I think it's pretty common. Yeah, you get those sort of body pains um, depending on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then that kind of just encringes on everything else, right? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because there's so many things that factor into that potentially um, to go about fixing it. So looking at like what type of floors you're standing on, footwear how you start your work day, how you end your work day, how high your workstations are, all those things can kind of factor into those sorts of um, problems. So have you done anything personally to uh, like remedy these sort of issues or and found success the health with? Pains and yeah. Okay. Um, stretching is one thing, definitely. Um, it helps. Um, I tried yoga several times. Um, it, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I think I'm always try to look into to get into more, you know, consistent matter. Um, didn't have a chance. <laughs> Too busy. Yes. Um, I also try to <clears throat> maybe that one works. I also try to kind of give myself a life and work balance. Um, even though we have Fridays off and most of Saturdays off, in the summer we have Friday, Saturdays off, I still, because, you know, 12-hour shifts, 13-hour shifts, it's still much, uh, can be. So if my cooks are able to um, take the lead on service, uh, I might take the evening off, for yeah. example, and go rest, because some, some of the cooks come later on the day. Um, so we have that as well. Um, I like to be efficient in my kitchen, which means that I set up in a certain way. I try to help set up everybody else also in a certain way that they don't have to um, work hard to reach for stuff um, or leave their station uh, to, to to struggle to go and get stuff for, for service to be done. Um, so there's that. I think efficiency is a big thing, is, is a, a key uh, factor in every kitchen. Yeah. There's always somebody who's gonna show you, or help you, or teach you, or you can see that he's very efficient in his ways. And that's something that I always try to implement and learn from. Yeah, I think the chefs that stick around longer have that efficiency. Yeah. Um, because you don't want to have to move more than you have to to get the job done. Right. Um, and I think a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of really uh, chefs who have been around a long time are just watching them work. They move so efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know to keep everything like close to them and everything organized. Yeah. Basically um, try and work with your eyes closed. And if you're able to do that, you're I good think to go. you're good to go. Because, you know, you know, your, you know your ways, you know you set up in a certain way that... It's just very, very. Um, there's a flow of things. Yeah. That you don't have to stress out over things, which also helps you to be less healthy. Yeah. Is that really being taught across the industry that efficiency of movement? And not everywhere. Not everywhere. Not everywhere. Um, when I came into different kitchens, sometimes uh, I find that. Um, 
a lot of people are used to working in a certain way because of habit, force of habit, or because they were shown to do things in a certain way. But, you know, every person has his own way. Um, and I remember um, in one kitchen that I was at, I saw somebody that was doing something um, that didn't really help them to work better. It just made his own life a little bit difficult. And I think he still remembers me uh, telling him, find a system, you know, find yourself a system that will help you work not only faster, but in a way that makes your life easier and not stress out over things, you know. A lot of cooks, for example, would put the tongs every time in a different location in their area or move the bottle with the oil to different spots in where they cook. And standing, you know, aside and, and watching that scenario, you can see how they're doing unnecessary redundant movements you know, yeah because you can see that they're also looking for things because they can't remember in the heat of the moment where they placed the things that they always place in a different spot yeah so that um, is also I think a factor uh, that can help you stay healthier yeah that's you know that's funny because I this is a different industry altogether so I did some work and I'm not going to mention the company by name, um, but I did an assessment for a company um, where we were looking at their workers to make sure that, like, um, to get a, a job demands analysis done. That's what I did. And we looked at all the different factors for workday. So I followed some workers around, watched them do their job, and I noticed that each task is highly variable to what the employee does. So they would end up at a customer's house and they would do stuff. But it would vary from customer to customer's house what they would end up doing. Mm -hmm. So it really came down to the training of the employee to know how to move efficiently to be able to fix problems. You know, because like the job's really hard, you're doing a lot of hard manual labor. But if you're able to edit your your efficiencies and your movement, then that employee is gonna be less worn out at the end of the day than an employee mm -hmm. who doesn't think about that. Right. right. Um, and that was sort of the biggest takeaway. And I noticed that, and then there's so many industries that that can play into. And having people learn how to move efficiently can be like one of the biggest things. Right. Right? Because, like, once that employee knows how to do that, A, they'll perform better, and B, they're probably going to be less worn out at the end. Yeah, it's like, it's like filming a music video, uh, mu music video uh, clip, for example. Um, they have many ways um, of editing stuff out. They have many takes. Uh, they can uh, a movie or whatever a series. And they take many takes. They they try many stuff in a different way. But in the kitchen, everything happens right now, and you don't have time to to go over and you know re redo a service, redo a dish. Mm -hmm. um, you just have to, as you go, learn how you can do a little better, how you can move a little. Uh, less to, to execute what you need to do um, so we don't have time to edit stuff we have uh, just service every service that we have to learn to move better yeah uh, and just that's it <laughs> yeah no that, that totally makes sense and that's awesome I actually haven't had somebody 
bring that up about the efficiency of movement, um, which is something I was thinking about. So that really excites me um, with that sort of stuff. But we always talk about health performance, the food service industry. Um, you've been in the industry for a while. So do you feel like the industry has changed a lot over the last 10 years? Uh, changed, not really changed, but more, there's more exposure of uh, information regarding health and stress. Uh, and for example, this podcast, yes. something that I don't think ever existed. Uh, the, the concentration in this industry was more of how glorifying the chef life is and making, you know, popularizing um, TV shows that has to do with chefs and movies and all that stuff, um, reality shows. Uh, but in terms of industry in the kitchen itself, no, I don't think it changed much. Okay, interesting. I think the long hours still exist. Yep. I think prep in the kitchen um, still takes a long time. You still have to come early and leave late. Uh, to catch up, catch up into things, even on slow service days. Um, yeah, I don't think it ever. I don't think it changed much. Okay, understandable. I think you know it, kitchens run the way they run, but that is interesting. You bring up about like celebrity chefs and mm -hmm. the glamorization of the chef lifestyle, which I think is a really common thing. And I think a lot of people, um, if you don't work in the industry or maybe you're thinking about getting into the industry. Um, only see what they see on the Food Network. Yeah. And don't know possibly all the moving parts that happen behind the dining room. Yeah, even, even you know, students who go to school uh, for, for, cooking, <clears throat> for cooking school, even in the school they don't teach you how restaurants really operate. They teach you how to cook, they teach you the basics, uh, and very, very few chefs uh, in school, I went to school for two years um, for culinary management, and I only had maybe one chef that ran his class the way restaurant service goes, where it's very like straightforward. You know, you don't waste time on telling stories. You just, you know, you go and you tell them what you need to be done, what needs to be done, and you have to do it. And you have a certain time that you have to complete it in, and if you don't then there will be problems. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I think also in school, um, people are not being taught what the industry is in, in reality. So students come out of school and go to kitchens and they're just overwhelmed, um, the poor things. <laughs> um, yeah, I've heard some rumblings of that too. But the, uh, um, yeah, it's interesting and I know a lot of uh, excellent culinary schools I was wondering how much they're uh, preparing their students for sort of the lifestyle that's in front of them and also giving them the tools they need to be able to survive it right yeah so talking about stretching nutrition you know it's interesting that there's a lot of chefs out there who know how to make excellent food but probably aren't being taught like the basics of like how do you put a nutritious meal together for yourself? Right. Like how do you meal prep for your job so you can do it successfully? Yeah, a lot of I find myself a lot of times that even you know people that I send a picture of what I eat sometimes uh, they say oh it's funny how 
whatever you put out to the guest compared to whatever you eat for yourself yeah. is so different in, in how it looks and what it contains. Um, it's hard to try and you know do a meal prep for yourself. Yeah, uh, it's just you don't have you don't you don't really think about it. You you know you eat to you basically eat to survive. Yes, that's that's how it that's how I find it at least. Yeah, definitely. And on top of you having to constantly work with food, it probably kills your wanting to cook when you get home. Right. So. Right. Um, so I always know all my chef friends, if I got the opportunity to like make dinner for them, I would try because like that's what they do. So any opportunity for someone else to make the food, I'm like, yes, let me, um, let me help. But my last question before we uh, take a little break, but is if you could change one thing about the industry, like fairy tale like to make it a little bit easier, maybe help you perform better, what would it be? Huh, uh, that's a hard And question. I say it's fairy tale like, so it doesn't need to have a fully thought out like way of creating, bringing it into reality, but right. what would it be? What would it be? I think uh, a little bit more life balance. Uh, the typical nine to five is uh, something that a lot of chefs maybe fantasize about because family time or going out and having that life balance um, is important. So maybe change the way hours are in the kitchen. Okay. Fairy tale. Fairy tale, right? (laughs) Um, Well, that's okay. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I'm going to take a little pause at that right now, and we're going to come back in a second and talk about crazy restaurant stories for a little bit of fun. Okay. Sound good? Hey, listeners, I need a little bit of your help. If you like this podcast, I want you to go and rate and review and subscribe to it wherever you find your podcasts, Uh, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it may be. Particularly on iTunes, if you give me a review along with rating it, it really helps other people find this podcast. And I really want this podcast to go wide and far because we have... 2 million people in the food service industry in Canada, and we affect 22 million people per day. So I want lots of people to hear this, and I want this podcast to go wide and far. And what's even better than rate reviewing and subscribing it is that if you like an episode, share it around. Make an Instagram post. It's really easy. Especially if you use Spotify, you can just go and share it really straight to your Instagram feed, share it on Facebook, send it to a friend, whatever you want to do to help this podcast get around. Because I love this podcast and I want more people to hear it. So go do that for me. And if you want to be on this show, you can always send me an email at aaron at balancedlifeservices.ca. Now, without further ado, let's get back to those crazy restaurant stories. So we are back, and we're going to get into those crazy restaurant stories. And I've been saving this one for a while, and it didn't happen to me. But it's really funny, and I thought, why not get into it right now? Um, It's 2020, and this one's funny. (laughs) So um, I worked at a pub that was very, very big in Guelph. I had upstairs and a downstairs. And um, upstairs, there was a set of taps up there. 
that guests could pour their own beers from, which was really cool. Wow. Yeah, it was all controlled, so you got, like, keys. So it was great for parties, because, like, everybody could get a key. You go up to the uh, to the tap, you put your key in, and then you can pour your own pint of the beers that are there, take the key out. That's um, nice. Yeah, it's really cool, and it was totally controlled, so it wasn't like people could just, like, go to town on them. Like, you could only get, like, three pints per key, mm. and then I'd have to reload it for you. So it was, like, pretty controlled. It was really cool. But those, those taps are up there. And uh, it was uh, Monday night, and there was a person who works there um, who um, was, I think, changing the lines on the kegs or something, or checking them or something. So he went up there, and he got two full pints of Budweiser. Mm-hmm. Not pints, sorry. Pitchers. Oh, okay. Pitchers of Budweiser, like full. And um, below, downstairs, is the dining room. I can't imagine what happened. Yeah, you can kind of see where we're going, right? (laughs) Um, So he filled them up, and he lost, like, grip on them or something, and they both tipped over into the dining room. He didn't drop the actual pitchers, just the liquid. (laughs) And the liquid went over and landed on a guest. But it's even better than that. That's funny already, right? Like, you know, could you imagine you're out eating and you could just get... Showered. Showered with beer. Uh, some people would think that's a good time. But the who it was, was they, it was a table of eight. And it was a grandmother's birthday party with her whole family there. And the beer got poured on, on the grandma. Ah, uh, <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> right on her, like direct hit. Um, Happy birthday. Right? So anyway, so this was like the funniest thing. I had ever heard. I wasn't there that night, but I heard about it. It was epic, and like everybody talks about it still at that place. And uh, I think they paid for their meal and their dry cleaning, and gave them like gift certificates to come back and like apologize profusely. They deserve it totally. But the funniest thing, yeah. Like, could you imagine like the birthday person yeah. on top of that, and it's like an eighty-year-old grandma. Oh, yeah. So anyway, so that was that's. My personal favorite story, I think, ever of things getting spilled on people. But do you have a story? And so that's a, also a little crazy story. Um, I was working with the chef. Um, he was brought into the restaurant to do some changes. And because it was also kosher, because the weekends we were off, um, for a whole month and a half, maybe, there was something happening with the fish ordering. He was doing his ordering himself, and the way it was done in this restaurant, you just text out the order. And um, after maybe a month, a month and a half of him being there, uh, one day the owner discovers that the uh, the receipts of the um, fish order is just they're piling up and it's more than usual so uh, he asks the chef about it and he says no it's just you know we're selling it it's all good and then one day uh, they come back the next day and the door was left open and the fridge was empty of salmon like maybe eight fillets of salmon six or eight so the owner comes to the chef and is asking him where what happened what's going on there's no where's the salmon and he says the the server probably um, 
the server probably left the door open before uh, before leaving and so he went to investigate um, and it was discovered that eventually this chef was taking the fish home um, and he forgot that day about the evidence <laughs> um, because on the weekends he had this private own uh, catering thing going on <laughs> so he was ordering fish to the restaurant taking it home and you know making money from that also he was uh, asked to um, serve whole fish to the guests but he did not know how to deal with it um, so one day one of the cooks discovered outside in the garbage bin a pile of whole fish bronzinos I believe ah. um, and just you know you pile it up it's it stinks up wow <laughs> the smell goes you know and, and one day one some cook looked into the garbage bin and just outside and it was filled with whole fish probably like 30 to 50 pieces of whole fish uh, what he was doing is uh, every time he had an order coming in because he didn't know how to cook them he just decided to throw them out instead what oh my god that's painful to hear that's painful to hear um, a for food waste because that's a problem and b like your job is to figure out how to cook it yeah. if you don't know you should have the skills to at least figure out how to do that and go make it happen yeah right don't be afraid to ask <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's so funny i um there i've seen instances like that in other restaurants as well and those chefs have been fired when they do those sorts of things and uh the industry is a little bit of a wild west in some ways but not like that mm -hmm. um you know you really have to know how to actually do your job and not yeah. um and not do uh crazy things like that i remember i worked with a chef who um, got like fired on the spot because a server, he put out a piece of fish that was like totally burnt mm. and said to the server that it was just blackened and uh, the head chef fired him on the spot. Uh, like she threw him out for that because she was just like, like didn't even finish service, which was like get out, I can do it myself because, well. um, because that's not the standard of food that we put out to tables and all sorts of stuff like that, right? Um, for how wild the industry is, you don't mess with a chef and the quality of their food, particularly a head chef that's sending food out to the tables. You don't mess with that. Yeah. Um, so, wow. So that's an excellent story. So <laughs> I can't believe you'd be stealing fish and using it for your own business. Yeah. Um, in that way, I think you wouldn't get caught. Yeah. And the the funny part of that, I think the owner did believe him um, that somebody stole fish that came into the restaurant and stole eight or six fillets of salmon. Yeah. Uh, it was a while ago, and a while ago, salmon wasn't as expensive as it is now. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know who... Why Why would he believe that somebody would steal just salmon, salmon. rather than booze? Yeah. Where it's more common, or yeah. equipment that he can sell, or anything else. Anything else. Fish is not oil. It's not like like gas, you know, gasoline. It's It's... Yeah. yeah, there's so many other things you can steal in a restaurant. Don't go stealing from a restaurant. We're not endorsing that. But um, there's so many things you could steal <laughs> that are uh, worth that are worth way more yeah, than the actual salmon. fish. Um, so especially because like also fish will go bad. Yeah, you know, so it has to be used right away. Like so many factors that 
play into that. Okay. Well, I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on this show. It was fun. Yeah, and uh, I think we'll leave it at that, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is Aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is B underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Hell's Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them what isn't working for them and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better work day and remember if you want to be a guest on this podcast send me an email i'd love to chat with you see ya